hey, we've been doing a series called um, Our Happy Place. Feels like it's not very happy in the room right now. Um, our happy place. So we've been looking at what what actually really makes us happy. And uh, Madison started the whole series off talking about you're one friend away from your entire destiny being changed, that we're actually happiest when we're in friendship and in community. <coughs> How many people know that sometimes making friends is really hard? Yes? Or you meet someone that you really like, but, but the spouse you just don't click with, have you? Oh, oh, don't, don't put your hand up. It's like, it's like we really clicked with Pippa and then we found Brian. No, just joking, just joking. I'm just joking. Um, I'm just joking. Uh, am I? I am joking. Um, but, you know, friendship is, is, is we're created for it, right? And, and in Proverbs um, 13, 20, it says, when you walk with the wise, you become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. And so it's saying here is basically who you hang out with actually really, really matters. Yeah. And we know that with our kids, and that's why we do things like, oh, oh I don't really like. We, whatever you do, don't tell your child they can't hang out with someone that you don't like because that just makes them want to hang out with them. You've you got you to be a little bit sneakier about it. Yeah. And you just got to find a way, like divert them to another person or just find some other way because because we just have this natural incline in us as children to just rebel, right? Yes. Yeah, so, so, um, but we we know that when it comes to our kids, but we're not very good at that at adults. So, making sure that we've got the right people around us, because if you have faith-filled, pursuing God with all of their heart, positive people around you, guess what? You're going to become faith-filled, pursuing God with all of your heart, positive person as well. But if you're hanging around negative Nigel all the time, and if your name is Nigel, I apologize. If you're hanging around negative Nigel all the time or doubting Thomas all the time, guess what? You're going to be filled with negativity. You're going to be filled with doubts. Your life isn't really going to go the way that you would hope it would go because you're going to get sucked down into the critical uh, attitudes and mindsets instead of the positive ones. And, and I think when we look in the world today, you know, at this time in this moment, we're, we're probably blessed with more financial or more material things than we've we've ever had in our lives, right? Like, like compared to, you know, compared to when I was younger, you know, um, when you played with friends, it was outside. No, not online. With your headphones on, you know? It's like, it's like we, we've got so much more now. You know, when I, when I first came to Pukekohe, and um, I think we had Robert Harris and one other coffee shop, on the main street. Now we have an abundance of cafes. You know, we're more blessed, uh, except for that one called Burnt Bucks. I mean, Starbucks, you know, that just don't go there. It's not worth it. Um, and, and so we have more options, more choices. You know, I was telling the kids that when, when I grew up, um, you got to have, you got to buy lunch at school on your birthday and that was it. Can anyone relate? Yes. And you only have one choice fish and chips, and you had to order it the day before, not the day of, right? And you get this little bag, and you rip it up, and you have your fish and chips. And, and, and like takeaways on a Friday night just didn't exist because there was no McDonald's and no KFC and no Burger King and no no Carl's Jr. and no, what are some of the others, Nando's and all those sorts of There was just, there was nothing. There was, there was fish and chips, basically, shop. 
And, and we got that once in a blue moon because mum just wouldn't do that, you know. And, and so when Georgie Pie came on the scene, it was like, hallelujah. You know, it's like amazing, right? And so we have more material things. We have more financial blessing now than we've ever had. But I would suggest to you that we live in a time right now where we have, uh, we are losing more and more the blessings of relationships. We may be gaining the blessings of material things and finances, but we're losing the blessings of relationships. And there's all sorts of theories as to why we're losing the blessings of relationships. One of them, I believe, is that we live in a society now which is so determined to be independent. I can do this on my own. You know, kids are like that, eh? I don't know if you... We had one was rather stubborn. I say was, probably still is. But it was like, I do it myself. I can do this. You know, like, you know, Trinity would try to get them to wear a, a nice outfit, but they would pick their own outfits to wear to kindy, and, and they would come out of the room, and I would look at Trinity like, what the? We can't send that out in public, you know, but I pick my own clothes. You, if you've got one of those kids, I, I feel for you. But we are fiercely independent. We don't want to be dependent on anybody we don't want to need anything. We want to be independent. Here's the problem with a spirit of independency is that it is, independency is distinctively, if you look at it from a biblical perspective, being independent is distinctively non-Christian. Because God didn't create us to be independent, but to be interdependent, to be dependent on him. Come on and dependent on one another. You see, he, he decided in his wisdom that we needed to be dependent on him and to be dependent on other people in his family. And so Jesus died for us, and he loves the church. That's us. We are the church. When we gather, we become the church, and we serve one another. We love one another. We exhort one another. We lift up one another. And so to be independent from all of that is to distinctively be non-Christian in the way that we approach things. And you would have heard from me all of the time, and I've said this time and time again, and the statement is true that I'm about to say, but it's also not complete. I would say to you all the time, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is a right statement, but it's an incomplete statement. Because the scripture teaches us that we need to have a personal relationship with God, but we're not to settle for just a personal relationship with God because there's something that will bring even more richness to your life, and that is a shared relationship with God. Our personal relationship with God and then our shared relationship with God with those around us. To just say it's just me and Jesus and I don't need anyone else is to operate in a spirit of independence which is contrary to Scripture, and is, is basically non-Christian in our walk because God didn't create us that way. And in fact, Scripture, you've heard me say this time and time again, but Scripture proves it where we confess to God for the forgiveness of our sins, but we confess to one another that we may pray for each other, that we may be healed. And there's a whole lot of people in Christendom that are walking around that are saved but aren't healed because it's just me and Jesus and they've not got a shared relationship with God. They've got an independent relationship with God. Are you with me today? Because the Bible says where two or three gather 
in his name, he is there in the midst. And what's even better than experiencing God on your own is experiencing the glory and the power and the majesty and the goodness and the character of God in the context of the broader, deep biblical community. And let the reality is very, very few people experience that. And in our culture today, we have so many external blessings and yet so many people internally, I would suggest, are relationally impoverished. Like they, they are in poverty when it comes to relationships. I think we've really honestly, I think I said, uh, was it not last week, the week before, I asked you to identify five close friends you have here that's not a family member and not your spouse. I guarantee most people in this room struggle to find one or two, which means that we're relationally impoverished. We, we have a poverty relationship-wise, yet the kingdom is all about that, yeah? We are the body of Christ. We are interconnected. We feed off one another. We are not meant to do this thing alone. So what are the, some of the reasons why we have relational poverty in our world? Well, I read an article by some sociologists, and here's three things that they kind of suggested. I, I think it kind of makes sense, and I'm not saying this is all of it, but this just might help you to understand. The first thing that they identified as the reason why people have relational poverty is, is that we have an increased mobility, that people don't stay in the one place for very long. In fact, what they discovered is that the average person moves once every five years. And if you're moving once every five years, you're not sticking around long enough to build a long-term deep relationship with the people around you. Yeah? In fact, they would say this, that if you're between the ages of 20 and 40, on average, you move once every three years. And so because of our increased mobility, it's really hard for us to build long-term relationships when we don't stick around, right? So that's one reason they had. The next reason they had was modern conveniences. They said the number one modern convenience that caused relationship poverty to start to happen in society, are you ready for this? Air conditioning. Because prior to air conditioning, on a hot summer's night, everybody would go out in their front yard or their front porch because it was cooler outside than it was inside. And so then there's kids playing outside, neighbors communicating, people talking to one another, people sharing a meal together. But now we have air conditioning, and when it's hot, what do we do? We go inside, shut the doors, turn the aircon on, and praise Jesus. Sociologists, not, not, these are not Christians, these are sociologists that are saying that the air conditioning actually has effect what we've done, because now we're inside. Another modern convenience that has changed neighborhood relationships, they said, was the, was the internal garage, the attached garage. You know, pr prior to when I was growing up, the, the garage was separate from the house, you know? And so you actually had to walk from the garage to the house and wave to a neighbor. Now we drive, we push a button, our garage door lifts up, we drive in, we push a button, it closes down, we don't even have to see a neighbor. Yeah, I know you. This is what sociologists are saying are some of the things that have not helped us. And you can live in the same neighborhood for years and never even have to talk to the people next to you because of modern conveniences. The other thing of modern convenience, which is, is, is fairly new, um, is now is the increased individualization of forms of entertainment. 
you know, uh, for those of you that are my generation and older, like when we wanted to, when we were growing up and we wanted to entertain ourselves as kids, what do we, what do we do? Can you help me if you're my age or older? What did you do if you wanted to entertain yourself as a kid in the school holidays? What would you do? You would you would go outside. In fact, if I came inside between breakfast and lunch, my mum would go, get outside. She wouldn't let me inside. If I tried to come in in the afternoon, if it was before 4 p.m., get back outside. Like, it's, I'm not allowed. No. For two weeks while you're on school holidays, you're allowed inside for breakfast, lunch, afternoon tea, a drink. But otherwise, get outside. Don't come inside the house. Anybody with me? And so you found other kids in the neighborhood and you and you played. We played cricket on the street and soccer on the street and rugby on the street. We we went down to the local the local little creek and we had um Shanghai's, is it? They're like slingshots, yeah. Slingshots and we would have wars, except for we were a bit stupid because we're kids and we we're shooting stones at each other, and that didn't end too well for one kid who got hit in the head. But we would, we would go down to the creek and we'd catch a tadpoles and then we'd try to raise them and turn them into frogs in the house, which mum just absolutely loved us doing. There was all sorts of stuff that we would go outside. But nowadays, we stay inside and we play on our iPad and our PlayStation and our video games. And so there's not as much social interaction. The third thing that they say that has created relational poverty of people, of course, is the rise of social media. And I mean, I, I probably hammered on this a fair bit this year, um, but let me just do it one more time, just for good measure. Um, there's great benefit in social media, but there's also bad things. You know, like we, we, can't, we can't be in relationship thumb to thumb, it has to be face to face. And so we lose that face to face contact. In fact, one article said this, it said that social media is creating an epidemic of deferred loneliness. Deferred loneliness. Because when you feel a little bit lonely, you take a selfie, you get it all right, you post it up on social media, and you almost instantaneously get a response and somebody says, oh, you're looking so good. Why, thank you, yes, I am. Um, and, and it makes you feel good about yourself because you get this immediate feedback. The problem is, is that you know internally if you've ever watched someone go through social media, how quickly they two thumbs and they like they don't even read what you've put. You you put all this time and effort into your hundred and something characters of this beautiful statement. Flip through, they just people don't let me put this out there for you. People don't read your long posts on social media. They don't. They don't. I know, because we post stuff about church, what's coming up, and then people come up to me and go, I didn't know that was happening, because they don't read, right? We just look at the headlines and we move on. And so that doesn't alleviate or eliminate loneliness when we do that, it just defers it. And so I would suggest to you that there is something that is probably missing, and maybe it's a someone that is missing, but I actually think the big problem with relational poverty at the moment, it's not just that someone is missing, is that a group of someones are missing. A group of someones are missing. If I could sum up this whole message 
And one sentence for you today would be this. You are one community away from changing the course of your destiny. You are one community away from changing the course of your life. You are one group of strong, committed believers that do life together and the highs and the lows who will lift you up, pray for you, encourage you, and always have your back. You are one community, a way of changing your future family, from changing future generations, from changing your ability to make a difference in the world. You are one community away from changing your destiny. And God just happened to create a community that can help your destiny change called the church. And I say this with all the love of my heart, and you're here today, so it's probably not for you. And if you're sick at home watching online, it's not for you either. But if you're turning up once a month, you're not in community. And your destiny won't change. Because God's created it, that in biblical community, you don't have to do life alone. And that it becomes your happy place. How do I know that? Because we need a modern reflection, modern day reflection of a New Testament community. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 46 basically sums up what the early church was like. And it says this, it says that they devoted themselves. This is not a half-hearted thing. This is an all-in thing. They, they devoted themselves. They 100% put themselves in this. Notice it didn't say that they got the pastor to ring them around every week for six weeks to get them to be part of a community. No, 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 no. They devoted themselves. You know, when, when, I, when I was coming through Bible college, we were told that you have to visit every single person in your church at least once a year in their homes. And, and I'm like, you know what? We spend all this money on different things around in, in our lives. Like I, I like Apple products. I'm not going to deny it. I, I like shoes. I'm not going to deny it. But Nike doesn't turn up on my door and visit me and go, hey, Craig, we're just wondering how you doing. Just a pastoral care visit to make sure you're okay, and and you know, because we want you to keep on buying Nike shoes. Countdown doesn't turn up to your place or pack and save and go. Hey, um, just notice you didn't do any grocery shopping last week. I'm just wondering if you're okay, and is there anything that we can do for you? Why Nike doesn't need to chase me because I'm devoted to it. Countdown doesn't need to chase me because I'm devoted to food. Can I get an amen? But we want, we want the church to chase us. Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, come and be part of my community, and that community will change your destiny into fishers of men. He didn't say, I'll follow you up, and then you'll become fishers of men. He said, no, no. You come follow me. You come follow me. You stick close to me. You hang out with me. And I will change your destiny so that you become a fisher of men. It's not half-hearted. It's all in. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What does that all mean? It basically means that they devoted themselves to a community centered around Christ. Not centered around a rugby club. Not centered around golf. As much as that hurts me. Centered around Christ. Here's the thing. Can I just quickly share this with you? It's not on my notes, but it'll probably help you. Understanding Jewish culture at the time that Jesus talked about this. There's two kinds of cultures in the world that psychologists tell us that there is. There's a strong group culture and there's a weak group culture. Strong group culture groups are very much seen in Asian, even Polynesian, African, and Middle Eastern families. And what strong group culture means is this, is that the individual puts the family first. So the individual will do what needs to be done for what's best for the family. Always puts the family first. And so that's why when immigrants come to New Zealand from some of these countries, they have no problem all living together in one house for seven or eight years, 20 of them, while they all save together to buy the next house for a family. And then they all save together and buy the next house for a family because it's not about the individual. It's not about what I need. It's about what's best for the family. It's always about what's best for the family. So when you have that story where, where the people come to Jesus and said, your mother and your brothers are outside, and Jesus turned around and said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? But those that are doing the will of God. That was such a massive statement for him to say because they were a strong group culture, which meant that his mom and his brothers came first, and Jesus turns around and says, oh, what a no, it's not, my, it's not my natural siblings that come first. My family are those who do the will of God. In other words, what he's saying, it's not your family that comes first. It's the kingdom of God that comes first. He, he, and you do what's best for the kingdom, not what's best for you. That's what he's communicating in that moment. And we see that in, the, in Asian African communities where, where they make sure that Mum and dad, when they get old, they're looked after and all that sort of stuff. The problem is, is we live in a Western society, and a Western society is seen by psychologists as a weak group community because we're individualistic and we put our needs first over the needs of others. I know it sounds harsh. And so what the scripture is teaching us is this, is that Actually, kingdom has to come first. The family of God, what's best for the family of God, not what's best for me. Now, when you start talking like that, people go, cult watch. But that's what Jesus is teaching. Is that the individual sacrifices what they want for what's best for the family of God. I know it's not very nice, is it? But I suppose somebody who does this for you can ask for that. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Do you know what love really looks like? Here's what love looks like. They sold property and possessions to give it to anyone who had need. In other words, what they're saying is your family and you don't go without because family looks after family. Now, I know that this is a foreign concept to us, and I know that we are 
possessed with owning our own homes in our society. Now, can I suggest that I have no problem with you owning your own home. I want to own my own home. I've got no problem with it. But you need to put it in eternity's perspective. Owning your own home is wood, hail, and stubble. It's not precious stones. And some of you are so depressed because you don't own your own home. It's not actually, when you get to heaven, that's not what matters. What matters is family, the family of God. That's the stuff that matters. We're doing okay this morning. And it says, and every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. It's a picture of the church. And they broke bread of their homes. It's a picture of a connect group. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And the reason why they sold their houses and everything is remember their strong group culture. So they do what's best for the family, not what's for themselves. And I want you to understand something that you are one community away from changing the course of your destiny. You really are, but I promise you this, you don't just stumble into it by accident. This kind of community doesn't just happen. This kind of community that we create with the love of Christ is intentional as believers come together. And I believe that we are happiest when we're in that kind of community where we know that people are there for us, where we know that at two o'clock in the morning, I've got that person when all hell is breaking loose, I can ring them and they'll be there. That's the kind of community that God is talking about. What are some of the qualities of a great Christian community? Do you need to stretch or something just to, I know it's been a bit uncomfortable, but we'll be all right, yeah. What are some of the great qualities? These are not all the qualities, but let me just give you three that I think are really good qualities if we're going to build a biblical type of community. Uh, a biblical type of community says this, we have refrigerator rights. Refrigerator rights. You know those people or family, that they just come to your house, they waltz in, they barely say hello, they open your fridge and they have a look at what you got to eat. Have you got a family member like that? My nephew, Zion, who's, who's my nephew by marriage, not by blood. They came to stay with us one night because I'm flying over to Australia to see his family. And, um, and when I got home from work, he, had, he was sitting down at the dining room table with a bowl of, of two-minute noodles, and he's just, he's just chomping away on all my food. I, I don't remember getting a message from him saying, is it okay if I eat your food? He just, he just helped himself. Yeah, he walks in, grabs a Coke out of the fridge, grabs and makes it all up, sits down, and he's just... And everyone's sitting at the table with him while he's munching. No, no, like, you know why? Because he has refrigerator rights. He's family. Now, if I came over to your house and I'd never been to your house before and I came over to visit, it would be a little bit weird because normally what happens, eh, if I come to your house, never visited, you welcome me in, we take our shoes off and we sit down in the lounge and we kind of get to know each other before we do anything. I don't even know where your toilet is. But, you know, we're in the lounge and we just kind of... And the, and the same thing would happen if you came to our house. If I said to the just a minute, and I got up from the couch and went in and opened your fridge and pulled out the bread and the lettuce and the ham and cheese and tomato, made myself a sandwich, grabbed myself a Coke, and then came back into the lounge and sat down, and I'm eating the sandwich and drinking the Coke you had in the fridge, and we're talking away. You may not say anything right then, but I guarantee you after I leave, you'll look at each other and go, that was weird. 
You know why it was weird? Because we don't know each other well enough. We don't, we don't have an intimacy well enough. Or we aren't, we aren't in relational relationship enough that it would be comfortable for me to come in and just open up your fridge and help myself. But we have to get to a stage where we have such tight friendships and relationships with others that help us in our lives, help us in our kids' lives, help us in every area of our lives, that they have refrigerator rights and they can just walk on in. You see, Zion comes in and he doesn't sit in the lounge. If I'm in the kitchen, he sits on the kitchen bench. He puts his stinky butt on my kitchen bench. Why? Because he's family. That's what family does. I can remember once there was a guy that used to be in the church, but they live out West Auckland now, and uh, Dave and Gina. Everybody, some people know Dave and Gina Morgan. And Dave had refrigerator rights in our house, and he would come in and he'd just open the fridge and he'd help himself. And I remember Seth just looking at him when Seth was little going, but Dave had refrigerator rights. We need to be people that we get to that point. The reason why it's weird is because we don't have the intimacy and the trust and the depth in our relationship. Yet, listen to this. Acts 2.44 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They were such a family that anything I have is yours. Isn't that cool? i got a question for you. How many people outside of your family have refrigerator rights in your life? where they can just come on in and say what needs to be said. And how many people in your world, outside of your family, do you have refrigerator rights in? See, God doesn't want us just to have a personal relationship with him, but a shared relationship in the broader community where we're doing life together. You know why? Because we're going to open up our homes and we're going to take risks and we're going to love and we're going to be loved And sometimes we'll get hurt, and sometimes we're going to disappoint people, and sometimes people are going to disappoint us. But the risk of not having this kind of community is far greater than the risk of hurt. We must have this kind of community because that is how God created us to be, dependent on him and dependent on each other. We need to be people that have refrigerator rights. Now, could I just curtail that and say, don't all rock up to my house this afternoon and just walk on in and open my fridge, right? We used to have we used to have a youth connect years when we first got married, before we had kids, we used to have a youth connect group at our house. And uh, we used to do grocery shopping on a Wednesday and youth connect was on a Wednesday. And we learned very, very quickly after two weeks, don't do your grocery shopping on a Wednesday, do it on Thursday. Because when the youth came over for connect group on a Wednesday night, by the time they had finished with our house, we were re-shopping on the Thursday. Because they had all our food. Why? Because they had refrigerator rights. Are you hearing me? Second thing is we all have forward feet. We all have forward feet. None of us are perfect. Yeah? Come on. If there's anybody perfect in the place, I resign as pastor and you can now become the pastor. Romans 15.7 says this. Listen, listen to these words. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. 
How did Christ accept you? Warts and all, yeah? Flawed feet and all. God doesn't wait for you to be perfect. He loves you just the way you are. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. What? Why? In order to bring praise to God. That when we accept one another for who they are, even with their flawed feet, do you know what that does? It brings praise to God. Oh, what can I do for you, Lord? Just accept people. As I've accepted you with all of their faults, thank you for accepting me with all of my faults. I don't get everything right. Sometimes I feel like I'm the worst pastor on the face of the planet. But you accept me anyway and you turn up and you suffer with me. I love that. How do I bring praise to God? Just by accepting people the way that Christ accepted me. Isn't that cool? We overcomplicate things sometimes. You know what I think that is? I think that's the power of community. We're told to accept one another, flawed feet and all. When we're accepted and loved in the context of community, Paul actually says that this brings praise to God. How cool is that? When we love one another, it brings praise to God. Don't get me wrong, all my close friends have flawed feet. But we've decided that we're going to be accountable to one another and we've prayed for one another. We've helped one another grow through our battles. In the context of community, we've gotten in each other's faces. You know, Steve Miller is a good friend of mine. He ain't afraid to tell me. In fact, this week I had a conversation with Pastor Brent Levisai, and he's just like, Craig, you just need to do... He wasn't like, where's the love? It was like, he probably didn't realize, but I got off that phone and I just felt... But I felt good at the same time, yeah? You hear what I'm saying? We get in the faces of each other. We make corrections with each other. We've encouraged one another, prayed for one another. Sometimes we get on each other's nerves. But since we're a family, we stay together. And when we're wrong, we own it and we apologize. And when we're wronged, we choose to forgive and we work through it. And we become more like Christ as we stay involved in the family, which is the church. Why? Because we all have flawed feet. We all have that one family member that gets on our nerves, yes? Auntie, uncle. I, I know you're bringing that person to mind right now. It doesn't take long. I can think of someone in my family. I love them dearly, but I can only handle about 48 hours with them before I want to kill them. You know, but I love them. You hear me? I love them. 48 hours of them is awesome. Any much longer than that in 10 years in prison seems like a good option. We all have people like that, yes, in our worlds. But we all have flawed feet. And so we just need to accept them like Christ accepted us. And it brings praise to him. The interesting thing is, is that all the way through Scripture, every time somebody was crippled or lame, I'm sorry, I'm going a bit long this way, but every time someone was crippled or lame in Scripture, this is what people would say. Who sinned? Them or their parents? All, all the way through Scripture, whenever there was crippledness, it was all, people always thought that that person sinned 
or their parents sinned, and this was God's punishment upon them. Bizarre, right? All the way through Scripture, every time someone was born with a defect or some sort of a challenge, it was because of sin. That's how people thought. And in the Old Testament, there's a, there's a guy named Mephibosheth. You can try and say it too, if you like. Mephibosheth. He was, he was a son of Jonathan, and David and Jonathan were great friends. But he had an accident, and he was lame in the feet, and so all of society had rejected him. And he was living on his own, kind of obscure. But David, the king, had mercy on him and showed him love to him because of his relationship with Jonathan. He showed love towards Mephibosheth, who was crippled. In 2 Samuel 9.13, it says that Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. Anybody pregnant right now? That's a great name. Name your kid that. Lived in Jerusalem because, listen to this, he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. All of society rejected him, but the king accepted him. And the Bible says here that he always ate at the king's table, but he was lame in both feet. We, we all have crippled feet. We all have flawed feet. But I want you to hear this. When you eat at the king's table, when you are seated at the king's table, guess what you don't see? You don't see the flawed and crippled feet because they are covered by the table of the king. And when we do community and we sit at the king's table to eat of this community that God has created, it's not the flawed feet that are visible because the flawed feet are covered by the table of the king, covered by his provision, covered by his grace, covered by his goodness, covered by his forgiveness, covered by his healing, covered by his love and grace and mercy. You don't see the feet. You didn't see his lame feet. You just saw him sitting at the king's table. And if somebody walked into the room, they wouldn't have known he was lame because the king's table covered the flawed feet. And the king's table, when you're in community, covers your flawed feet. I would have thought somebody would have cheered in that moment, but... Thank you. Someone's with me. We need to have refrigerator rights. We need to understand that everybody has four feet. And this is the other great thing about communities. We fight lions. We fight lions. We fight lions. As I prayed this week, this is what I really felt. This, this part of the message I really felt was for a bunch of people in the church. The great quality of Christian communities is that we fight lions together. We don't do it on our own. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, Be alert and be sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We have, whether you like it or not, we have a spiritual enemy who wants to devour you, pick you off, steal from you, kill you, destroy you. Everything that matters to God is you and he is after you. He wants to destroy you. And I just want to show you a video clip 
that Sienna's going to play. It's, 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 it's a lion and water buffalo, but, but I think it shows a picture of what the church is meant to be. That is a huge buffalo. It's a huge buffalo. They're crouching. She's crouching. Oh my god. Can we get the baby? Oh my god. Oh, she's, going the baby. Him. she's going for him. She's going for him. She got him. Oh, she did. She got him. Ladies, these gunnies lines of one. Yeah, but look at all those buffalo coming. I think you're right. They're way too right now. Here comes the Jew. Are they too late? Oh, look at the teeth. Look at them. Look at the teeth, Jay. You're too late. You're too late. Whoa! That one's. Ooh! Ooh! We're going in the water. You got the lion on him, run. It chased him away. Oh, they hooked the one. Did you see they hooked the one? They got the other one. Go on, Buffalo, go on. And there's another one. Oh, the big one. Oh, run. To me, that's a beautiful picture of the church community. And if water buffalo can stick together like that, don't you think the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should stick together like that? Because we fight lions together, not on our own. Don't you think we can, we can stand together and we can fight and we can be there in one another's lives? Because when the enemy comes, we do not roll over. We, do, we stand up and we fight. Why? Because Christianity is not a playground. It's a battleground. And it's not somewhere where we come to play. It's somewhere where we come to fight. And when you fight alone, you'll get picked off. But when we fight together, we always overcome. And we need to be people that are in community one another. So you're not fighting your fights alone. Friend, you don't want to face cancer on your own. You don't want to face financial instability on your own. You don't want to face a kid that's going off the rails on your own. We need one another so that we can fight together, so that we can pray for one another, have the back of one another, help one another. Come on. That's what the church is meant to be. It's not meant to be an individual sport. We're meant to be together, one another. Well, how do we, how do, we do this? Well, we've got to get connected in. Turning up once a month just ain't going to cut it. Not being in a connect group just ain't going to cut it. You've got to get yourself in community. 
And, and I felt this week as I prayed about this, that some of you, you're in a fight. Some of you have been in a fight for ages, but you're fighting alone and you don't have to fight alone. We can fight for you. The enemy comes to attack, but we've got each other's backs. And we're on each other's sides. And we're going to stand up for one another. Maddie, can you come? You don't want to fight these things alone. What you want is this, is you want the strength of the body of Christ standing with you, loving you, praying for you, encouraging you, and fighting with you because you're not alone. You might be vulnerable, but you're not alone. Some of you are really vulnerable right now. But I want to tell you, you're one community away from changing the destiny of your life. And when you have it, that kind of community is so rich, it's so satisfying, it's so meaningful. And then the Bible says that when that happens, the non-believing world around us is going on, wow, look how they love one another. Look how they care for one another. Like they really, really care about each other. I I don't understand what they believe, but I want that. I want that kind of love. I want that kind of care. And suddenly Jesus' words in John 13 come to life. Everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Oh, you know what we need? We need more evangelism. That's what we need. We need more people out on the street with bullhorns telling people they're filthy, rotten sinners going to hell. No, no, it's not what my Bible teaches. My Bible teaches one of the greatest evangelism tools that we have and our arsenal. One of the things that we have that shines light into the world in a way that nothing else does is when we have a love for one another as family that they don't see out there. That is the greatest tool of evangelism. When they look at the church and go, I want what they have. And they can't look what we, just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. And I'm sorry to say this, but it's just you and Jesus. You're not operating as a Christian. Because Jesus created us to be in community with one another. We have a personal relationship with Him, but we have a shared relationship through others, and it's the way that God created it. Jesus, who loved us so much, He was willing to die on a cross. And he did that. And then he's saying, this is how you need to live your life. This is how it needs to be. And some of you have got relational poverty and you didn't even realize it. I want to tell you, you're one community away from changing the course of your life. But it won't happen by accident. You've got to to be in it. But my prayer, my prayer for you and I is that we would stir up the church that we would stir each other up as a church to love one another with unconditional love. Why don't we all close our eyes just for a moment? And I just want to ask a couple of questions. We're going to pray for people soon. If you're in a fight, we're going to pray for you soon. I want to ask you a question today. How many of you would say, I I don't have that? 
I don't have a broad community who is there for me. And I recognise that this is a significant need that I have in my life, that I, I actually need to be in this place where I have community. How many people in this place right now, well, nobody's looking around and say, you know what, I, I actually need that kind of community around. I don't have it, but I need it and I want it. And would you pray for me, Craig, that somehow I would find it. We will do our best to help you as a church. We're not brilliant. We don't get everything right, but we'll do our best to help you get into community. But if you're here and you're like, man, I, I don't have that kind of relational community, but I want it. Would you pray for me that I'll be able to find it? Why don't you, why don't you, why don't you just lift your hands across this place right now? If that's you and you don't have it, but you want it, come on. Awesome. Awesome. Let me just pray for you. Father, I, I thank you for those who are honest enough to say, I don't have it. I pray, God, that you would do what only you can do. Give them a divine desire to not just have a personal relationship with you, but a shared one. God, to know you are in, to know you in the context of a broader community, to not go to church, but to actually be the church, loving one another, doing life together in a way that brings glory to you. And so, God, I pray for every single person that lifted their hands and everyone else in this place right now, that you would create divine connections for them. That even today, that there might be someone that they connect with in the foyer and they get to share a meal together and that they'll get to know each other because they're one friend away from finding a community that will change the course of their destiny. God, help us to be a church that's so full of love for others. That we make sure that no one misses out, that no one's left behind, so that we truly will be a place where people look and go, I want that. In Jesus' name.